This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Dam, and here's what's coming up. Our intelligence service and investigation services actually identified seven suspects that are persons of interest at the moment in connection with a possible terror attack. That provides further credibility to the alert from the Americans. That's Willem Ells, senior anti-terrorism trainer at the Institute for Security Studies, saying South African investigators were focused on a suspected terror cell shortly before the U.S. Embassy warned of a possible terror attack. Also, we're waiting for a new update on the Ethiopia-Tigray peace talks being held in South Africa. Police in Zambia have arrested an opposition leader after she criticized the president. And scientists say an invasive mosquito species was likely behind a large outbreak of malaria in Ethiopia and a rise in the disease in Djibouti. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. We have this late-breaking word this hour that there is a peace agreement that has been reached in the Ethiopia-Tigray peace talks now underway in South Africa. We have the latest with Kate Pound Dawson of VOA. She's here to give us an update. Kate. Hi. Good morning or good evening. Tuso Kumalo, a VOA reporter who is at the talks in Pretoria, he's texting us the latest from the briefing. Former Nigerian President Olusongun Obasanjo is saying that there has been a peace agreement reached between the Tigray forces and the Ethiopian National Forces. It says, today the peace agreement will see guns being silenced. This comes a day before the third anniversary of the conflict in Tigray. In addition, all sides have agreed to a ceasefire. They have agreed to disarm, agreed to restore order, and agreed to protect civilians. Obisanjo says he salutes and congratulates the delegates from both sides. We really appreciate that update, Kate Dawson, and she really did just come in here this very last minute with that updated news. Thanks, Kate. The talks had initially been scheduled to end on Sunday but were extended. Since the negotiations began, intense fighting had continued unabated in Tigray, where government troops backed by the Eritrean army and regional forces have been waging artillery bombardments and airstrikes. The army has captured a number of towns from the rebels. Diplomatic efforts to try to bring the government and the rebels to the negotiating table picked up steam after combat resumed in late August, upending a five-month truce that had allowed limited amounts of aid into Tigray. The negotiations are the first formal dialogue to try to end the war that had killed hundreds of thousands of people and unleashed a desperate humanitarian crisis in northern Ethiopia. The talks began last Tuesday and initially were scheduled to end on Sunday but were extended. Dr. Joseph Siegel is director of research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies in Washington, and he tells VOA's Douglas Mpuga earlier today that he sees all of what had been happening up until this past hour as a positive sign. It's also showing that uh, both sides recognize that there needs to be a negotiated settlement 
uh, to the conflict, that that's the only way that this is going to be brought uh, to a close in a way that's going to be sustainable. I think we're all uh, trying to keep track of, of what's going on. And, and I think, you know, the, the focus is going to be on um, trying to, you know, sort of rebuild confidence building measures between the two sides. Remember, there was an earlier ceasefire this year. Um, and during that time, we had seen increased access to Tigray, you know, more of a flow of supplies and, and goods and services. So I think the, the immediate priority is going to be to try to reestablish that, that, they're, that both sides agree to stop fighting, try to open up humanitarian access, access and, and then see some restoration of services. You say there needs to have a negotiated settlement of this conflict, uh, but there are three parties to the conflict, including Eritrea. Is Eritrea's absence in these talks a factor? Eritrea is clearly uh, a key factor in these negotiations. Eritrea's role has not officially been acknowledged. So uh, I think uh, in, in practical terms, the considerations of Eritrea's role are being uh, taken uh, uh, into consideration from the Ethiopian government position. And uh, there's the expectation that any agreement that is negotiated would apply also to the Eritrean forces. Now, the concern is that the Eritreans may have their own agenda that doesn't exactly dovetail with that of the Ethiopian government. And uh, it's possible they could play a spoiler role in the interest of expanding their own influence in the region, uh, which may uh, make uh, any enduring uh, negotiation more problematic. What would you say to the role of the international community? As the talks go on in South Africa, we have reports that the conflict still continues. Would there have been a need first to have a ceasefire that is uh, implemented in the region? Well, I think the um, contributions that the international community can make in the short term are, are limited because of the lack of access uh, to the region. The uh, international community has committed the resources um, there's food and other supplies ready to go. They have tried to draw attention to the seriousness of the humanitarian suffering in, in Tigray. We've heard this from uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres on down. Uh, there have been sanctions placed on Ethiopia because of the lack of access uh, to provide humanitarian assistance as a means of trying to put pressure uh, on Ethiopia. The government's position has been that you know, providing uh, humanitarian access to Tigray at this point poses a high risk of those resources being diverted to support the Tigray and uh, the TPLF uh, war effort. And so really the political settlement needs to be the, the, the key priority that, that there's a restoration of the cessation of hostilities agreement. And at that point, you know, we could see more humanitarian assistance getting in. So I think from the international community standpoint, the, the key part is to keep putting the spotlight on all sides and their role in perpetuating this conflict. That is Joseph Siegel. He's director of research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. He was speaking with my colleague Douglas Mpuga earlier today here in Washington before the agreement was announced.
Police in Zambia have arrested an opposition leader on charges of libel and hate speech after she criticized President Hakalingdi Hichilema's media director. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka. Police spokesperson Ray Hamonga says National Democratic Party leader Savoy Imboela is in police custody and has been read a warn and caution statement informing her that whatever she says could be used against her in a court of law. Hamonga says Imboela was arrested for a Facebook post that criticized the president's media director, Clayson Hamasaka. Imboela's lawyer, Joseph Chiwa, says she was called into police headquarters in Lusaka Tuesday and told she would be questioned by the anti-fraud squad. She was warned and cautioned rather for the offense of uh, hate speech contrary to section 65 of the Cyber Security and Crimes Act. She was warned and cautioned, charged and arrested for the offense of uh, a criminal libel contrary to section 191 of the Penal Code of Zambia. Chapter 87 of the laws of Zambia. Zambia enacted the controversial measure in 2021 under the former ruling party, the Patriotic Front. Critics have expressed concern that the law is being used to muzzle freedom of expression, freedom of the press, and the right to privacy. More than a dozen opposition leaders and citizens have been arrested in the past year for public comments deemed critical of the government or government officials. The opposition and human rights defenders have accused the ruling party of suppressing dissent. President Hichilema's spokesperson, Anthony Bualia, has repeatedly denied the allegations, calling the opposition petty. Kathy Short for VOA News, Lusaka. You're listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please go to voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. On this World Impunity Day, the 2022 Committee to Protect Journalists Global Impunity Index finds the vast majority of killers of journalists never face punishment. The CPJ puts the number at nearly 80 percent for people who murder journalists in retaliation for their work over the past decade. Somalia remains the worst offender on the index for the eighth straight year. Syria, South Sudan, Afghanistan and Iraq round out the top five countries from September 1, 2012 to August 31st of this year. Why aren't more killers of journalists arrested and in prison? Well, I put that question to VOA Press Freedom Editor Jessica Jarit. That's a really good question, and I think it actually also really underscores a lot of the problem with impunity. Part of the problem in terms of why there isn't this accountability with some of the countries on the index, their countries going through a lot of unrest or turmoil. Somalia tops the list for the eighth year. And here you have a, a government that's just in a constant battle with al-Shabaab militants, which can make it very hard to secure justice. It's basically militants targeting journalists and media workers. But in other countries like Mexico, it's a democracy. There's no war, but the journalists there it's one of the most dangerous places in the world outside of a war zone to be a journalist. It has appeared on the CPJ index every year and the government has taken measures. It has a safety protection mechanism. Journalists under threat can enroll in it and be offered sort of safety measures, even bodyguards for the most extreme cases. And they have a special prosecutor who's meant to investigate these cases. 
Um, VOA's Press Freedom Desk, we've looked a lot at Mexico in the past 18 months, and the journalists we've spoken to have said these measures don't go far enough. Another sort of big factor in this as well is it's sometimes easy to get the low-level people, the gunman, the trigger man. But with impunity, particularly in journalists, you have to always come back to, well, why was that journalist targeted? And it's because of the story that they were following. Someone's trying to silence them or someone objects to the criticism or the investigative work that they are putting out. And isn't it suspected that a lot of times in those kind of cases that it goes right up to the top? Yes, yes, that's a, a big issue. CPJ data says often it's politicians or the heads of sort of organized crime cartels are often the ones who um, are the suspected uh, perpetrators of these attacks. And it can be very difficult to um, bring those cases or to investigate at that level. And I think there's a sense, I think, maybe that like once you've got the person who actually carried out the attack, maybe that's enough perhaps, but it really isn't, because if you don't go after the mastermind, if you don't go after the people who are basically sending a message that it's okay to kill a journalist because you don't like what they said, it sends an incredibly troubling message, and it emboldens other people to do the same thing, and I think that's one of the key issues here. And that it can lead to self-censorship. Yeah, uh, self-censorship through attacks is is a a huge concern, And, and journalists we've spoken to in Mexico, they say for instance, that there are there are stories that they are concerned about taking on because they fear that it might become an issue that they'll be attacked or threatened over. I think self-censorship is just the most debilitating aspect of, of press freedom when you've sent such a, a threatening message to a whole journalist community to just not cover a certain issue. And it's incredibly harmful to our audiences. I mean, journalists there to report for our audiences, for our viewers, to help them understand and make sense of the world around them about events that are happening in their communities. That is Jessica Jarit. She's VOA's Press Freedom Editor, and I was speaking with her earlier in Washington. Scientists say an invasive mosquito species was likely behind a large outbreak of malaria this year in Ethiopia and a recent rise in the disease in Djibouti. The Associated Press says the species, known as Anopheles stephansi, had been seen in India and the Persian Gulf, as well as in Sudan, Somalia, Yemen, and Nigeria. The AP reports that a malaria scientist says the invasive mosquito was strongly linked to a rise in malaria in a major transportation hub in Ethiopia. Another researcher blamed the increase on longer, rainy seasons and the conflict in northern Ethiopia, which has reduced efforts to contain the disease. Scientists note that the species can breed in cities in contrast to native mosquitoes, which are mostly active in rural areas. They are also more likely to bite people outdoors, rendering mosquito nets and indoor spraying less effective. But health officials say other measures used in South Asia, such as using fish to eat larvae and eliminating buckets of standing water, may be adaptable to Africa. When the U.S. Embassy in Johannesburg last week warned of a possible terror attack in the city, it put a spotlight on South Africa's ability to prevent such an incident. Terrorism analysts say local extremist groups linked to international jihadist networks such as al-Qaeda and Islamic State are thriving. But, they say, local agencies don't have the necessary tools to stop them. Darren Taylor has more. In 2018, when Cyril Ramaphosa became president, he pledged to fundamentally restructure South Africa's intelligence and police services. 
His predecessor, Jacob Zuma, had allegedly filled these agencies with cronies who wouldn't investigate government corruption. Almost five years later, the law enforcement reform process remains a work in progress. Security and terrorism expert Jasmine Opperman says South Africa's intelligence agency consistently fails to gather information that could prevent incidents such as the deadly riots of July last year. History is against us, and I'm talking recent history. I'm looking at crime. I'm looking at border security. I'm looking at our forces in Mozambique struggling to contain the insurgents in Cabo Delgado. The government says it first heard about the terror alert from the Americans on Twitter. That's a failure in itself, says Opperman, and it sparked panic. The hysteria was a clear message to government. We do not have a trust in your ability to deal with this situation. People believe the U.S. more than the South African government. And this is where our problem lies now, how to install this credibility. Because to manage hysteria... A commission of inquiry led by a highly respected judge has branded the governing African National Congress an organized crime syndicate pillaging the public purse. Much of the money was allegedly stolen from law enforcement budgets. In this context, says former South African intelligence officer Bradley Stain, he understands why the U.S. Embassy didn't give details of its information to ANC politicians. It's very important to make sure that your intelligence is actionable and therefore credible in order for you to go and put a country and your citizens on alert like this. If I was in the national security position where I had to make the decision, do I share all my intelligence with the South African government? I'd feel very uncomfortable with that. A report from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime says institutions tasked with identifying, preventing and prosecuting terrorism remain weak and riddled with corruption. It says the authorities don't have enough technical and specialist capacity to combat extremist groups. It says their informer networks and cyber capabilities are weak and they lack the necessary language skills, cultural knowledge and understanding of militant ideology. Stain's convinced, though, that local intelligence operatives are doing their best to find and track suspected terrorists. There's a lot going on behind the scenes through my resources. I've discovered that there's a lot of police activity out there around major cities across South Africa. Senior anti-terrorism trainer at the Institute for Security Studies, Willem Els, says South African investigators were focused on a suspected terror cell shortly before the U.S. Embassy released its alert. Our intelligence service and investigation services actually identified seven suspects that are persons of interest at the moment in connection with a possible terror attack. That provides further credibility to the alert from the Americans. Whether the timing was welcomed by the South African services, that we don't know. But uh... Opperman says even the world's major powers, with highly sophisticated counter-terrorism measures, cannot prevent every extremist attack. But Pretoria should be doing much more to prepare for what's looking like an inevitable assault.
For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. To recap, our top story, an agreement has been reached in the Ethiopia-Tigray talks in South Africa today. Here is Nigeria's former president, Alusagan Abasango. At- our distinguished partners and observers in this process, the United Nations, IGAD, and the United States, esteemed colleagues from the African Union, members of the media, ladies and gentlemen. Today marks two years less one day since violence and war broke out in the northern Ethiopian region of Tigray. Over this period, the African Union has been persistent in seeking ways and means for bringing about peace, security, and stability in Ethiopia and ensuring that the development and progress of Ethiopia as a wholesome and an inclusive society will not be truncated. Fourteen months ago, that is Nigeria's former president, Olusugin, Olusugin Abasanjo, speaking this past hour in Pretoria at the talks. And here with more on the latest is VOA's Kate Pout-Dawson. Kate. Thank you, Carol. Uh, our reporter, Tuso Kumalo, is in Pretoria, and he's been texting us live updates. In addition to President Obasanjo speaking, the Tigray head of the delegation has spoken and said that the, his uh, team, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, is dedicated to enacting this agreement. They say that we have a way to move forward. It gives everyone a chance to leave the past behind, get children back in school, and meet the needs of the people. Uh, They are very hopeful the guns will be silent soon. For more, we'll be able to update you at our 2 p.m., excuse me, at our 1800 UTC show. Also, please follow everything, all the breaking news on this very important story on voaafrica.com. Okay, thanks so much for that update, Kate, for the the uh, result of these uh, nearly this week-long talks in Pretoria, South Africa. We've been waiting to hear something like this. It was pretty much a media blackout, but now we know, and it sounds like good news. Thanks so much. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America.
Dr. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat to ndombolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 